2: Hey everybody, today we're debating whether or not science fits more comfortably with atheism or theism and we are starting right now with the theist's opening statements. Thanks so much for being with us. The floor is all yours.
3: Um, hello, is it okay if I share my screen? Uh, that'd be okay? Yep. Okay, okay. So can you guys see that? I'm
2: fitting it to the screen because last time it was a little bit more zoomed in and hermeneutics as the it.
4: basis of scientific knowledge
3: yeah okay great so yeah this is my presentation I'm going to try and fly through this as fast as possible because I'm going to try and cover about 300 years of philosophy in what six minutes or so so let's uh, let's just do it so um to start off I thought that would start with a Kant quote which is essentially that this is a tribunal this tribunal is no other than the critique of pure reason because that is what this debate will be whether reason can justify itself, or specifically, whether inductive reason can justify itself. I thought I'd give a quick uh, outline of where I believe the compatibility of the hermeneutic model, which you can see in blue, the whole, the contextualized experience, the parts integration, uh, all necessarily forming a complete uh, subject analysis, and the scientific method as observation, uh, research, hypothesis, and experimentation, and then Analysis and the reporting of conclusions into a new observation, which is then reanalyzed. So, unity as the key of scientific method. I'm, I'm taking that the uniformity of nature that is present within all is present in all modes of scientific thinking. Uniformity implies the experience of a priori necessary knowledge within reality, and that Hume was the first to demonstrate that. So now we'll have what is called induction versus deduction to give a quick outline. Um, inductive arguments are judged on their strength. Deductive arguments are judged on their validity. An inductive argument would be akin to saying, every P I have observed has been a Q. This is a P and therefore every P is a Q. Or all birds I have observed fly. This is a bird. This bird can probably fly. They are probabilistic arguments and not necess- not necessary arguments. You can't say that the conclusion necessarily follows and it actually adds something to the premises. A deductive argument is quite the opposite. It is necessary. Every P is a Q. This is a P. Therefore, P. this P is a Q. All men are mortal. Socrates is a man. Socrates is mortal. Uh, I don't think anyone would necessarily have a problem with that. This is literally just inductive versus deductive arguments. So the problem of induction. The problem of induction is how do we prove induction? The issue with induction is that it cannot be proved deductively since the conclusion adds to the premises. And in other uh, in other words, conclusions do not necessarily follow. Induction cannot prove induction since it would be circular and just an assertion. So some probable responses. Um, how do we know what is most probable? Um, like uh, probability, like how do we know whether, it's fine. Um, how do we know, um, apparently there's no video on my side, actually, I'm sorry, one second um okay um i don't know if i can actually fix that
4: we'll just put inductive principle
3: circularity uh
4: definitional sorry political so
3: essentially when we're talking about probabilistic arguments um you can't say that it is most probably true without assuming what is actually most probable. So this is this essentially leads to a circularity in which you assume what is probable in order to prove what is probable. So in other words, if I see constantly conjoining um, events, why should I assume that they will continue to uniformly conjoin? Um, there's definitional arguments for... Um, Inductive reasoning being justified. So, for example, to say that induction is necessarily rational because it is defined as such. Um, however, this is sociopolitically relative and non synonymous. We can imagine non inductive forms of reasoning and uh, even modes of reasoning which are not implicit within our current paradigm. Um, you know, you find maybe someone in a different continent may reason based on spinning uh, a bottle for example and that would be definitionally rational from this uh, position and then there is the pragmatic account uh, in which that induction is seen as more or less successful unfortunately how do we find the conditions of success well it's going to have to be induction so is there the possibility of inductive knowledge because induction seems to work on possibility which is derived from experience those experiences are supposed to give us indications of what is likely to occur in the future, based on what has occurred in the past. Now, the issue is, it cannot prove that this assumption is justified, and this is why, through an inductive method, science becomes akin to faith. It is asserted that the principle of the uniformity of nature is true, and therefore induction is also true. Uh, You could also do this exact same uh, argument by saying, God ensures reason. What is an actual solution for this? How can we actually gain knowledge? We need to have deductive, analytic, a priori priori knowledge of reality. So you must be able to uh, employ a logical inferential argument which can track from start to finish uh, in in the form of a dialectic, I would argue. I managed to skip a couple of slides. So this would be, as Kant would argue, a priori synthetic knowledge. This is how Kant managed to overcome the problem of induction by arguing that there is necessarily a priori components within experience themselves, um, showing, for example, space and time as being necessary for to have an experience of a thing. For us to say that there is a given thing or a determinateness, we have to limit our experiences to a given categorization for us to say that there is uh, a, a, an experience at all so to say that there is a bird for example and that these experiences of birds are that they actually fly we would have to say that we are experiencing birds and that there is the we can differentiate birds from other aspects of our experience so for example space we would have to be able to shape of a bird uh time the continuation of a bird's flight path in motion through our experience these are necessary conditions for any possible Experience. So, what Kant is arguing is that the basis of experience is a priori categorical judgments. These categories are imports of ideas into reality, which gives us the possibility of judgment. For example, psychological continuity, or the experience of inner and outer, uh, inner and outer experiences, or the differentiation between objects. Uh, this is basically extension and figure. Yeah. So, geometry and maths, like you would not be able to engage with an external reality at all if you did not have some concepts of geometry and maths. However, it is not enough to say that these uh, concepts necessarily exist in your experience, but they must be synthesized and unified within a judgment for you to be able to have any understanding of an object at all. It's not to say that there is simply a linear experience of time or that there is spatial, uh, that you have some spatial awareness of objects, but that these are actually locust within a subject. You are making the judgment that somehow this object necessarily contains the judgments of space and time, the categories of space and time. However, Kant thought that this was uh, implied by the subject, as in subjectively, um, and so that the categories of thought uh, or the categories of truth that exist are bound to the subjectivity of an individual. Like there's no actual way to gain knowledge external to, to uh our modes of intuition, which he thought was simply universal to all humans. Um, and so we only have access to human knowledge. Um, Hegel showed this to be false in the science of logic when he argued that the categories of thought must necessarily be contained within experience itself. Um, the reason he argues that is that one, the Kantian noumena or the thing in itself is uh, doesn't make sense. To imply the existence of a non-categorized reality, which makes reality be what it is, implies that you have knowledge of something which is definitionally unknowable. Um, On top of that, the, the categories themselves must be possible categorizations, meaning that there is a logical foundation for these categories themselves to develop so these categories are bound by the laws of logic and confined to what is possibly categorizable which means there is a fittingness in heideggerian terms to the concept our categories categorization of reality is bound to uh reality itself of how it could be possibly categorized this leads hegel to argue for what he calls objective subjectivity. Upon reflection, we recognize ourselves as an object of our own understanding and that our modes of uh, categorization are incomplete. Um, this is where we move from truth as being an is uh, in terms of seeing reality as it is to seeing reality as it should be. There is a necessary, te- necessarily teleological categor- uh, aspect to the form of categorization. Are we categorizing uh, Thirty seconds. This leads us to uh, fundamentally ask the question of whether we are categorizing our categories and it gives us the possibility of refuting our categories against an objective reality. These object the, the objectivity of these categories can then act as a um, a reference from which we can free ourselves from our own um, psychological bias and subjectivity. However, it is worth mentioning that what must necessarily be synthesized is these categories within reality. The principality of these categories as they exist in terms of possibility is the unity of opposites, which combines um, what is called uh, possibility and contingency as necessarily united within reality itself. And so this I take to be a divine mind, um, that there is a divine mind necessarily Categorizing reality, which allows us to understand reality um, and understanding our understanding of reality for knowledge itself to even be possible. Uh, thank gotcha. you.
2: We'll switch it over to Sal. We'll be flexible with the openings. And Sal, I'm setting the timer for you. The floor is all yours for your opening as well. This Sal being another theist, by the way. So the second half of the theist openings.
5: Okay, so I'm going to share my – it should say science is more? Correct. Okay, I'll try, to, I'll try to be four minutes, guys, to help you out with the time. Science is more compatible with theism than atheism. I argue that based, first off, on the simple fact there are no answers in atheism. You cannot say, I don't believe in God, therefore we should pursue science. Uh, or that the human race should continue. There are uh, Peter Singer and Patricia McCormack, for for example, who are atheists. And that's a picture of Patricia McCormack. She advocates the extinction of the human race to preserve uh, the planet from climate change. Peter Singer thinks that we should stop suffering by just having one generation die out. So you can't start with atheism and come to any conclusion as to what is good or bad, or what should be pursued or should be valued? It's just up to people's whims. So, r- r- right there, it's a non starter. You can't even go from atheism and deduce that science is what you should pursue. I will point out Fred Hoyle, famous cosmologist, said a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect is monkeyed with physics as well as chemistry and biology, and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The study of nature does through our scientific methods suggest there's a God. Therefore, it is more reasonable to say science is compatible with God because that's where the data is starting to point. Um, I could point to this in quantum mechanics. I have this book on quantum mechanics, uh, F.J. Bell and he was also my statistical mechanics book. I'm not gonna quote it, but he just mentions that quantum mechanics implies God. Can't <coughs> run away from that. Also Richard Smalley, Nobel Prize winner in chemistry. He said, evolution has just been dealt a death blow after reading Origins of Life with my background in chemistry and physics. It's clear evolution could not have occurred. And so that right there, science is more compatible because the data we're getting now, maybe uh, 20 years ago or even 40 years ago or 100 years ago, that was not the case. But as the data is flowing in, it seems that science is more compatible with the idea of God and a miracle causing uh, the origin of the universe and life. And we can get into that more in the free discussion. Also Eugene Wigner, he's a Nobel Prize winner, uh, not in chemistry, I'm sorry, it's in physics. He talks about uh, relating to what Lewis said about the the things about forms. It's amazing that uh, the laws of physics agree with mathematical forms. The proper term is algorithmically compressible forms. There's no reason it should do that uh, and then to conform and make the scientific, scientific enterprise possible. He says this is a miracle. So the scientific method itself is a miracle. The Mind of God by Paul Devies goes into that. And in my last minute, I'll cover a few things. A lot of people don't know that abiogenesis theory is falling apart. It's so bad now. They're invoking multiple universes. Uh, that you can't test or verify. So they've actually had to go outside of science anyway, to, uh, explain the origin of life. Uh, this week, uh, there's been some terrible things happening to the theory of evolution. Uh, some experiments have shown that even some well-accepted theories are falling apart. And I'm, I review papers on my channel that are showing that, uh, evolution's in big trouble and evolutionary biologists said, if, uh, junk DNA is real, then evolution is false. We're finding junk DNA, junk DNA is actually functional and therefore evolution is false. Um, and also, you know, the idea of evolution, it's actually been hurting medical science and we can cover that more. So I would argue vociferously that theism is more compatible with science. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much for those opening statements from our theist team. And we're gonna kick it over to the atheist team for their openings as well. Wanna let you know folks if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we are a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. We hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you are from. And hey, if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button as we have many more debates to come. With that, JF and T Jump, thanks so much. The floor is all yours.
6: Alright, T Jump, would you like to start?
4: Sure. Um the question is, is science more compatible with theism or atheism? And in order to show which hypothesis is better, you need a hypothesis that makes predictions. And the one that makes predictions successfully the most is the better hypothesis. The one that does that is the atheist naturalist hypothesis, the god hypothesis makes no successful predictions it just doesn't do anything to show that it's true simply saying that there are some things that science can't answer or there are some things we don't know uh, isn't an evidence of god whatsoever um simply saying that you need a divine mind to categorize things isn't evidence of god whatsoever it's just an assertion clearly we don't um sal presented a bunch of quotes of scientists who agree with his position but didn't actually explain how any of what they said is actually evidence because it's not None of them actually have evidence of a god, which is why the consensus and majority of all all of the experts in all of those fields are atheists. Because all those quotes he presented are just those specific scientists interpreting the data in a way that they like. But none of them actually have evidence to support that sentence. That's just their personal favorite interpretation. Um, So we're going to need some evidence to why those statements would be true, not just a list of statements from famous people. Um, Algorithmic compression forms are there's no determining factor that we know about in nature that would cause these, which is colloquially put as there's no reason why it should happen. But that doesn't say the fact that we don't know of a reason why it should happen. Therefore, it must be a miracle is a basic argument from ignorance fallacy. We don't know therefore God. So that's also not evidence of God is literally a basic fallacy. So I don't, those are like the only arguments I heard in the openings of my opponents. So I don't really couldn't really follow much of what they said in relation to the topic of the debate. And I love from perspective philosophy to give me like a structured argument, premise, premise, conclusion of evidence of a guy that would be super helpful. But yeah, so the best hypothesis is the one that makes the novel textable predictions and gets it right. And the only one that does that is naturalism. There's no evidence of any kind of supernatural anything ever because none of them have ever been able to make novel successful predictions. And so science, which is the field of novel successful predictions, indicates naturalism more than theism.
6: Absolutely. I agree with everything that T. Jump just said. And the whole argument of perspective philosophy, basically, I recommend to the audience put it in a box, throw it in a the trash. There's nothing there. Uh, perspective philosophy's entire argument is based on the premise that science must find an answer to his philosophical problem of induction. It is not a problem of science, the problem of induction. It is a problem of the critique, the philosopher critique, who comes in and is unsatisfied about the circularity of knowledge that he perceives in the scientific method. But the scientific method never promised that it would develop absolute knowledge that is non-circular by the standard of philosophy. And by the way, the philosopher perspective philosophy here uh, never applies this circularity argument to his own thinking because his own thinking has led him to conclude that God was necessary, and yet he was necessary based on his own thinking. There's your circularity perspective philosophy, but the theist only finds circularity in the scientific method, which has not been defined and which has not been adopted to address their their philosophical problem. The scientific method is simply... The best machine we've found, in terms of a series of methods and a series of a priori axioms, that yes, we adhere to with no philosophical justification, just because it's been delivering, the amount of understanding of the universe that was delivered by science has outcompeted any religion, any tradition, any communi- any other form of human communication. It carries predictability from why squirrels exist to why. Uh, the entire universe exists. And so that's the method of science. It doesn't have a philosophical promise. Going back to the details uh, in Saul, because I think that addresses the whole perspective philosophy about, which, by the way, was not at all about the main subject. So that's why T-Jump had a difficulty finding what is about the main subject here. There's nothing about the main subject. Uh, We don't have a justification for God. We don't have even an indication of how perspective philosophy concludes that science is compatible with theism. Saul comes in and presents uh, horrible people like Peter Singer and a demonic woman who wants to kill people. Uh, By the way, uh, we've gotten rid of at least one aspect of the demonic woman problem in America uh, yesterday as we have uh, abolished Roe v. Wade. I want to celebrate this and I want to say a few words just to acknowledge the death of 70 million embryos all killed by bloodthirsty pregnant people, these pregnant people who have been killing these embryos since 1973. I'm glad that it's over, never again. Uh, But yeah, the the fact that Peter Singer is there making arguments is not even a representative of science. Peter Singer is a philosopher who has extremely poor priors about harm and his conception of human harm, they are not products of science. Neither are the demonic woman's uh, beliefs products of science. He says there is a miracle in the appropriateness of the language of mathematics for the formulation of the laws of physics. Uh, I would acknowledge that there's something extremely fascinating about how humans, uh, descendants of some apes, have somehow emerged on this planet and had brains that somehow are capable of doing science and are capable basically of introducing anything from the world into their physics and to their laws of science. It's fascinating, but it doesn't mean that a God is necessary as an explanation. And by God, I mean an intentional being creating the universe. As it turns out, evolution is a satisfactory explanation for why humans have developed extremely plastic and extremely variable language, which can basically integrate anything. The reason is, if you have a blind spot in your communication system, if if there is something that your language cannot represent, that blind spot could eventually be an evolutionary weakness. And so it's absolutely natural under the theory of evolution that species uh, they evolve to gather all information from around them that could be relevant, and they evolve to be extremely plastic as to how they will interpret it, how they will react to it. So, evolution being a satisfactory explanation for why you have general intelligence, general patterns in the brain that can represent anything, there is therefore no need to invoke a God explanation. And then, as a last comment, Sal makes the argument that there are some well-accepted theories in evolution that are falling apart. That, for example, junk DNA, if it's real, then evolution is false. That is a false uh, premise. Uh, Junk DNA could be true or could be false. It is by the standard of empiricism and evidence gathering that we will determine if, if they are. And nothing is incompatible with the theory of evolution, whether it's junk DNA is true or junk DNA is false. Personally, I've always thought that there's probably functional aspect to junk DNA that are ignored and that we don't yet know. Uh, But whether you believe that junk DNA exists or not has no bearing on whether the thing that you're looking at has evolved. Junk DNA could very well have evolved from the simple noise, the generation of mutations that don't get selected, or junk DNA could Have evolved to have functions, in which case we would say simply that it's a product of natural selection. All in all, we have a perspective philosophy who provides no argument at all for the uh, compatibility between theism and science. His argument is purely philosophical and does not address what science does. And Saul makes false arguments around theories that he misunderstands from science. Science is much more capable of handling the contradiction that Saul Cordova here perceives. Science is able even to change its view uh, if brought new evidence, and that's how it would happen. Not true philosophical or incompatibility argument that are fetishes.
2: You got it. Thank you very much for those openings. We're going to open conversation. Want to let you know, folks, our guests are linked in the description. So if you'd like to hear more about their views, You can certainly click on those links right now, and that includes at the podcast. If you're listening via the podcast, as all of the debates on Modern Day Debate end up on the Modern Day Debate podcast within 24 hours, you can find our guest links there as well to learn more about their views. So with that, thank you very much, gentlemen. The floor is all yours.
3: Yeah. Okay. I actually wanted to ask about perspective. I was going to say, can I just quickly respond to Jeff more than anything since... uh... Um, I will actually one thing I will say T jump. I, I do I do think I need to outline things a little bit better, maybe 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 make my position a little bit more clear. Obviously, yeah, I, I wanted to, to can I just try to steel man your
4: position? Um, I want to see if I can interpret what but you were saying. Well, before you do,
3: I just want to point out GF's position. Like if if I if I had done a better job, I really feel like GF couldn't have, have made his argument so bad um in such a small space of time. I just don't understand. Like a priori axioms, uh, you, you start saying that science is in, does not consider the foundation of its own knowledge, so it's just asserting the existence of scientific knowledge. Um, that that other individuals have poor priors while speaking to Peter Singer, yet arguing in your own in your own statement that these are assumed, uh, that these are axiomatic uh, assumptions. Um, and you don't even address what knowledge is and whether science is capable of even producing it and how science could be, in terms of reasoning, be capable of producing it. What outlines the separation between a scientific method and a non-scientific method and whether the scientific method is able, even able to produce knowledge. So you manage to not only contradict yourself, but completely move over everything I said in in my PowerPoint, which is fair enough. Um, you know, maybe I didn't explain myself well enough, but my God, like, the, 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 anyway, sorry, t, uh, T-Jump, you, you well, wanted to... You I, I just want a response to, respond. to this,
6: and then we can get yeah. to T-Jump, uh, just to say knowledge can have various definitions depending on the context in which it is used knowledge as a general tree of knowledge, I would say knowledge is coherence. And that's true in mathematics and in empiricism. However, when we talk of scientific knowledge very often, we talk of the capacity of a system of the mind to predict the future. And so knowledge is just how much of the future can you predict, or just how much of what you don't know yet can you predict based on a scientific theory. That is the general standard for empiricism.
3: Right. So you're saying, log- so it's just simply logical consistency. So there's, there's no correspondence necessarily involved no. in the production of knowledge. So for no, example, no, no. like he, the scientific specifically method said, testing sorry, sorry, just clarify, against reality. He literally
4: said that it's correspondence to future predictions. So he was saying that it was a
3: correspondence He said knowledge a... is basically coherence and then said correspondence to future predictions. So it co- coherent against itself. Like is, is there, is there any value of empirical testing the thing is is when
6: you define knowledge as a whole you have to include the truths of mathematics and the truth of mathematics are purely abstract and they don't come with a prediction in the world unless the world is made of mathematics or is behaving like your mathematical structure that's why i say at the base level knowledge is coherence and then when we talk of scientific knowledge, we really talk about interacting with the empirical world around us, and then it becomes a finer definition.
3: Okay, so if we're, let's just say like the production of numerical identity that exists in mathematics and it's necessarily logical relationship with each other. Yeah, I would agree that would be deduction and I would say that would underpin induction. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure that's going to contradict T-Jump's position because now you're going to have to say that there is a deductive, aspect, which is fundamentally the basis of an inductive argument, and that it's not probabilistic and it's necessary, that there is a necessary identity at the bottom of reality.
4: Well, well, so that's fine. Like in empiricism, we can accept analytic knowledge just fine. Like I don't understand how in your argument, uh, I'd like to move back to like the topic if much possible. Okay, yeah, I no, don't understand I was- how in your presentation, analytic knowledge in any way indicates a divine mind. It was like your concluding remarks of this uh, foundational argument you made was something like, for knowledge be possible, you need a divine mind to categorize things or something along those lines. And that doesn't seem to make any sense. Like Categorization can happen in my mind just fine. I don't need a deb- divine mind to categorize things. Nature has a particular nature to it in which it organizes itself and has things in particular categories. Uh, some particles have X number of neutrons and protons, and some particle have a different number. That's not a divine mind doing those categorizations. It's quantum fields doing those categorizations. So these abstract concepts don't need to exist in a mind to have separations or differences between things that's just a fact of nature and then our minds can classify those just fine so i don't see how your argument you that you need some kind of a divine mind to categorize things applies it seems perfectly rational to think that reality categorizes things and we
3: just define them well let's let's just double back one from my from my understanding you argue for induction that's correct like induction as being the basis of the scientific modality yeah
4: And induction is a language and language is based on logic. And so the logic,
3: the deductive part is a structure of the language that we use to form induction. Induction is a form of reasoning and like, and yeah, it exists in the natural language, but I mean, it exists as a form of thinking.
4: Yes. So, so logic is undergirds all of that. Yes.
3: Yes. And so, but when we're talking about probabilistic, um, probabilistic theorizing, would you say that, uh, where, where would you gain the, the basis, for example, of, um, I don't know, a probable occurrence that is... Like, so I'm assuming you think knowledge comes from a primarily external basis, an empirical basis. Are we gaining uh, from...
4: No, so, so I'm fine with conceptual knowledge. So a priori analytic knowledge is fine. I'm happy with that in my worldview.
3: Okay, what about a priori synthetic?
4: I don't accept that as a legitimate
3: categorization. Okay. So then here's the issue. If there is the, This is what's called Hume's fork. So Hume's fork essentially is the separation between a priori and synthetic knowledge. If you separate a priori and synthetic knowledge, how do you know whether there is a, uh, a principle of cause and effect or the uniformity of nature operating within your observation?
4: I don't care. But, it doesn't make a difference to my argument.
3: Well, it does because it's the fundamental basis of induction
4: no it doesn't make a difference to my argument so either way you can say right. that is or isn't the case with or without a god so you need to show how anything you just said relates to well i, I will god but i, I will, but
3: i mean i'm just trying to move from like induction the, inductive asked, reasoning to deductive reasoning. On,
4: premise premise conclusion. can you give me an argument for god because none of what you said it matters it's just like i don't accept hume's synthetic analytic or any of those kinds of distinctions that he made i think they're all problematic i don't think there are any like okay, well, why are they
3: problematic like come on but if you that, don't accept, you don't accept it has you nothing spoke.
4: to do with the topic it's like i don't want to okay, go into it does have something
3: to do with the topic because it, well, it, it, it depends on whether there is an a priori a priori concepts within nature itself and how those a priori well, no, no, concepts you, you have to demonstrate to one you
4: have to demonstrate how it relates to the concept first and then, then we can talk about it so so can you well, give I'm, me,
3: I'm, I'm i'm showing you that that well one i'm arguing that I'm trying to demonstrate to you the necessity of a priori concepts unifying your experience of reality, as in you simply would not be able to have an experience of an object if it wasn't for something like space and time, Sure. Right? As, in your, as in your ability to categorize reality within your mind. Sure. Sure. So what does right? it have to do with a God? Okay. Well, if we accept that, that means that you never actually engage. This is the whole Kantian point you never actually engage with an uncategorized reality
4: that's so, so if I, remember i said earlier that quantum fields can do all of the categorization for us they can separate things into time and space and so time and space exist because quantum fields do the categorization you don't need a mind for any of this why would you need a mind to do with this categorization you're talking about
2: i gotta what i have to do is i'll give you a chance to come back perspective, but I do just because JF and Sal have been waiting patiently. I just want to see if they had any thoughts that they want to jump in with as well.
6: well that's I think handy. T jump close perfectly. So let's hear Sal.
5: Well, thank you first off, gentlemen, for giving me a chance to promote my channel because a lot of the responses to you will be on my channel in more detail. But let me point out what the law of physics tells us. The laws of physics makes it possible for 500 coins to be all heads. It does not make it Probable. The laws of physics simultaneously makes one configuration possible, but simultaneously highly improbable. We call that violations of the law of large numbers with respect to coins. And uh, we can extend that to many aspects of the origin of life. So if we define science in terms of explaining things in terms of repeatable phenomenon that follow the laws of physics, you automatically will be, as a matter of principle, trying to define solve the problem of life by in, insisting that it's a probable phenomenon and it's improbable. That is anti-scientific. As a matter of principle, it's false. Therefore, something outside of the law of physics is a more reasonable explanation, more compatible with God. The other thing as I was criticized. There was a quote by Dan Grauer who said, if ENCODE is right, then evolution is wrong. That means if junk DNA is functional to that level of about 80% or more, and even, even 10% or more, then evolutionary theory is wrong. I published on this. Uh, it's a, in a peer-reviewed chapter in a Springer reference paper. It was amazing we got it. It's on University Library shelves. i elaborated on the problem. It's called the problem of mutational load. Now, regarding abiogenesis, I covered on my channel the hand of God dilemma. The hand of God dilemma is something abiogenesis researchers are having to come to terms with because they have to coax their their little you know proto creatures so much that it, the, the level of intervention would kind of be like the hand of God, and it's the hand of God dilemma, and it's it's suggesting that something has to intervene. And going back to physics, that says it makes life possible, it makes it simultaneously improbable. That can prove it. Therefore, we're not going to have experiments, a testable prediction, and T jump. Uh, I want to thank him for pointing out. What's the testable prediction of naturalism? Well, it's going to be falsified. abiogenesis. I'll give you a testable prediction. Abiogenesis will continue to fail as experiments for the principle I just pointed out. This is starting to be come to terms with in 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 the mainstream, and that's why they're invoking multiple universes that are outside or <laughs> you know anti-scientific actually. And then also the evolutionary eukaryotic components is very difficult, evolving proteins. I published on topoisomerases. You could see my videos on this. Evolutionary biologists do not challenge me. Furthermore, natural selection fails. So thank you.
6: Well, I challenge you and I happen to be an evolutionary biologist. Three answers to what Sal has been saying. Uh, Junk DNA. Uh, Junk DNA does not require whether it's functional or not functional. I really don't care. It doesn't require either way a god explanation uh, you simply have to put it in your head that the theory of evolution works with mutations these mutations if they don't annoy the organism the organism can accumulate an arbitrary number of them and they will never annoy him in terms of naturally sele- being naturally selected away or being naturally selected into the genome so once you realize that it's not a big cost for the organism to have certain letters of DNA in its genome that doesn't serve any function, you realize it's entirely possible that the mutations and the addition of new DNA strands may not necessarily have function now, but could have functions in other evolutionary contexts. But as long as they don't bother the organism, the organism will keep existing. Uh, If junk DNA is functional, then it's even more in line with a specific uh, part of the theory of evolution. It means it's naturally selected. Perhaps there are parts of DNA that don't have a big function. They uh, They may help the other parts of DNA to be exposed properly to proteins that read the information. And if so, then they have a little function and so be it. If they have this little function, they will be naturally selected into the population as they will help Uh, people reproduce, make babies. Uh, As far as abiogenesis goes, uh, I have the answer to abiogenesis. My book is called The Revolutionary Phenotype. In short, um, creating new layers of the genetic code is an easy process once you understand the theory of phenotypic revolutions. The theory simply goes as follows. Certain replicators end up creating other Uh, phenotypes, other molecules, and eventually these molecules turn out to be better at carrying genes than the very first first genes that gave birth to them, and you then have an inversion. uh, What used to be the phenotype becomes the gene, and what used to be the gene becomes the phenotype. This explains why we have genetic layers in our life forms. One of the predictions of my theory is that you'll actually accumulate a certain number of genetic layers as the protein life form gives birth to RNA, RNA gives birth to DNA, eventually DNA may give birth to something else. That's how life is built. Life is built through additions of phenotypic revolutions. So science now has an answer to the question of how a new replicator shows into existence. So there's nothing left here from Sal's discourse that requires anything else than our current scientific knowledge.
4: I wanted to just ask two questions, one for Sal, one for protective philosophy. So, Sal, if we just grant that uh, life forming is really, really improbable, how do you go from it's really, really improbable to the God done it, as opposed to maybe it's just an unknown law of physics? Maybe there's some unknown physics, unknown biology that we just don't know about yet, that makes life highly likely under certain conditions. Um, why is that a less likely less plausible explanation than magical being outside of the universe. And for perspective philosophy, the to pick up on our last conversation, why does categorization require a mind of some kind and not just
3: quantum fields? Um, I'll let Sal go first and then I'll.
5: Well, thank you. Uh, T. up that's actually a very good point. How do we go from life is improbable to there being a God? I've already think I've established life is highly improbable we can go through all the papers. And one of the problems in short debates is Brandolini's law. Someone can make a statement. It's going to take hours to refute it. And that's why I have my channel. Um, I just needed to, uh, well, I'll respond to UT Jump. I'll hold some things for JF later out of respect for UT Jump. And JF, that was a good response sir, or respect. I think you're wrong, but I respect you nonetheless. How do we go to God? Well, when we look at the design of even a cell or even its major protein families like homohexameric helicase, topoisomerase, uh, transmembrane proteins. I've asked biochemists, if you take, do you know any biochemists that could build this from scratch if they didn't have the blueprint already uh, existing in cells? They said, no, this is too difficult a problem. It exceeds the cell, exceeds the technology of all humanity at this point in engineering. So, whatever created life has a lot of intelligence, skill, and knowledge. If it's not God, it at least has a similar skill set. Thank you. Well, the question was, why couldn't it be
4: done by undiscovered physics? Couldn't there be undiscovered laws of physics and biology that do all of this with no mind?
5: Uh, I, I pointed out, and it is a tough argument to show that it, it is in Hubert Yaki's uh, Information Theory and Molecular Biology, the, the characteristics of life must, as a matter of principle, transcend the laws of physics. Just like a computer transcends the laws of physics, the structure of a computer is not—it's ex- made possible by the laws of physics, but the laws of physics do not make a computer inevitable. The cell is a computer. So for those, I know you're shaking your head. Uh, I have Hubert Yaki's book, Information Theory, Molecular Biology. You could see other information theorists. That's why I, I I don't believe in abiogenesis. Well, well, could, I know you're, you're like, shaking your head, and I respect you that you're uh, you're disbelieving well, I like, in I'd like that. For those who want to hear, I'm sorry.
4: Because you said life must transcend the laws of physics. Now, this is against literally everyone in physics. Everyone in physics, everyone in biology says that's ridiculous. So if you have some evidence of that, that'd be great. But I do want to give perspective. My,
5: Michael, to Polanyi. M- Michael Polanyi. Michael Polanyi.
6: He, you he keep in names, but you him. never bring said, evidence. When I said transcend, does not doesn't scientific mean, process. I didn't
5: say it violates it. I said it transcends it. Yes. A computer is made possible by the laws of physics. It doesn't make a computer highly probable.
4: So, so how does life transcend
5: physics? Because it seems like all of that can be done by physics. You know what uh, you it's mean, what they call boundary right. conditions. Boundary conditions are acted on by the laws of physics. Boundary conditions do not originate from the laws of physics. So when you have a second order partial differential equation that defines the law of physics, what like, and I'll give you an easy example, force equals mass times acceleration. That's an approximation of Newton's second law. But the values of force, the value of M for mass, the value of A for acceleration do not proceed from the laws of physics. They are boundary conditions and they're separate from the actual equations and that's how it transcends it. Life isn't a boundary
4: condition. Life is a result of those things.
5: Well, I, the physicists out there will understand what I meant by boundary conditions. You'll see that in physics books and you'll see that it's separate from the laws. You need the boundary conditions to solve the equations You know, a particular equation of physics, you have a boundary condition, then you get a result. Um, And, um, you know, it's going to take me a while to dig up the references that the boundary conditions are not the same things as the law of physics. Okay, so I appreciate appreciate your little... You know, I appreciate that this may sound confusing and may be new to you. And you know, maybe this, I can. This is not new to me.
4: Boundary be- conditions are laws of physics, um, but none of them include life. Life isn't one of those things. It's not, it's not a boundary condition. I don't. I don't uh, know how I'm, you're getting from life as a boundary condition.
5: That part. Well, me, I'm, I'm, totally I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're going to just have to disagree on this, and it okay. may not be worth. I'd like to give time to Lewis, and if people want to debate me more on this, uh, there is my channel and. Uh, but, but thank you for contesting me and making this such a lively discussion, teacher. Okay, yeah. So
3: my argument uh, is very much philosophical alone. Uh, I'm, I'm not really going to engage in any scientific specifics uh, in relation to evolution versus creation. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm happy to go along with scientific consensus um, because, well, I simply do not know better. Um, so I will let the scientists do the science, and I will do the philosophy so that I can show that their scientific reasoning is in fact justified. And that's really the, the goal of this, isn't it? And when we're talking about the philosophy of science, to think that philosophy, to think that science is not, uh, it might not be considering its own self in its uh, methodological approach, although it, I think it actually does uh, often, especially when we start getting into the theoretical physics. Uh, and more theoretical bounds of science and the scientific method and the scientific model and how to perfect its own knowledge. Um, But the the reality is, is that any knowledge that it produces must necessarily be justified. It must justify itself rationally. Um, And so just to JF, you can't just assert something's true. Okay. That's the point. So in order to hopefully get this back on course to T-Jump's question, which is why is there a, why must we um, uni, have a unified mind uh, in relationship to uh, or a divine mind specifically? Why can't these simply be unified within your mind? Um, well, obviously the uh, what you're purporting there isn't actually um, basic empiricism anymore or materialism. Um, it would actually be um, transcendental uh, idealism you'd, or, or transcendental uh, realism. Um, where you would say that an object necessarily entails a priori immaterial categories uh, within uh, for it to be an experiential thing in the first place. So, categories of space and time, which are necessarily categorizing an aspect of reality um, for it to be intelligible. They don't actually, the matter isn't, um, or the quality which is being categorized isn't the category. The category allows for the experience. Uh, and the uh, understanding of the thing itself. Uh, and so before you could even before you would even say that there is a thing, whether it's a quantum field, whether it's a, a particle, whatever you are actually analyzing, you're already applying categories of the understanding to it and these are a priori. Uh, these are prior to experience. these are necessarily true, analytically true um, and are immaterial uh, in that respect. They are ideas. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's fundamentally true. Now, whether they're synthesized in your mind, I I do actually think they are, uh, in many ways. I think that your mind is synthesizing them. I think Kant was actually onto something, uh, when he said that, um, you know, that these are synthesized in the intuition, but by the pure intuition synthesizes the stimulus from reality into- Do do you mind
4: if I interrupt just to like ask a question about the, the previous thing you just said? So, From my Um, perspective, I'm not advocating for transcendental idealism. I'm saying physicalism. The physical stuff exists first. So I think space and time are literal physical things. They are a thing that exists. And then we come up with categorizations after we see them, after we experience them. Obviously, they must exist first to create our brains. And then our brains come about and make up categories. So there's no consciousness prior to human
3: brains in my model. Why would we need those first? That's this the is the problem and this is why i wanted to, this is the problem of induction uh primarily like in, in, in or related to the problem of induction or hume's fork actually when i try to bring it up before and try to argue that well these these a priori concepts necessarily must be contained within any experience at all for it to be a, an experience which is understandable um the whole point of hume's fork is to say okay we have identities we have belief states about identity about reality as we see it right like that this is a table that that you know that this is a wall that, that let's say shapes and forms exist that numerical identity exists the problem is that if we say that knowledge is external and gained through impression there is no reason to believe that any of our beliefs about those impressions are necessarily contained within the impressions um uh, specifically and he, he puts this forth by um, in relation to cause and effect, which is the uniformity principle, which is necessary for, the pro- for necessary for induction, um, as two billiard balls, balls striking each other, he says, "I see one ball uh, strike another, and I do not see a third term betwixt them." In other words, you cannot observe the principle of causality, from which leads you to believe that event A necessarily caused event B, that there is a relationship between event A and event, event B. Which would create a logical inference, which would justify your ability to predict probable futures, and this is why Hume is necessarily arguing against Newtonian physics, and why Kant is actually defending Newtonian physics by by proposing uh, transcendental idealism or transcendental realism. Um, now, that in, transcendental idealism uh, means that we exist in the phenomena, that there is the Okay. I'm, I'm totally,
4: totally lost again. So so my question okay. was, I, can, I don't care about induction. You just forget everything about induction. It means nothing to me. I want to know why do we need a transcendental mind for things to have properties? It seems like things can have properties and those properties can be described with categorization, but the categorization doesn't need to exist in any mind. It's just things have properties in and of themselves. What's a thing? Like particle, wave, energy.
3: What is a particle? Why would you say a particle exists? What What is it? Where does it exist? Uh,
4: inside the quantum fields. It's a fl- everything is a fluctuation of quantum fields. Quantum fields are the basis of everything. They are the fundamental and nature of all you reality. You can
3: make this way more basic in terms of, your, why do you believe that any of these things exist?
4: Well, well, so so you can suppose that I don't. Suppose this is just hypothetical. I'm saying hypothetically, we don't need any minds. We can just be, there is a thing no, that exists. I just mean,
3: like, what is like I'm assuming you believe, let's say, for example, that there is a computer in front of you, a microphone. Right, like, right. You know, physical so the like reason I'm do. saying this
4: is because I want to make a distinction between epistemology and ontology here. So like this is kind of where oh, you and JF were talking past yeah. each other too. There, It is logically possible for there to be a reality where it is literally materialism is true and there's physical stuff that exists first. Now, how, whether or not I know this or whether or not I believe this is irrelevant, it doesn't matter. This is possible. And so until you can show that this possibility is less desirable or less preferable to your possibility where there's a mind doing categorizing stuff, then a priori, we have no reason to accept your model over this model. And so I'm
3: asking you, I may, what is I'll respond to that? Like, so sure. if we're talking about possibility and the, and the, it's relationship. One, I would say that actuality implies possibility, that there is a constraint to possibility based on what is actually possible uh, in terms of categorization, in terms of the limitations of identity. For example, a thing cannot be itself and its negation. There has to be that there is a, uh, this in modal logic is called uh, the necessitation rule, that uh, it must be necessarily possible. So possibility itself is limited in terms of logical, its logical relationship with itself in terms of a unity. Uh, in terms of its actual existence, and so when we talk about possibility, first and foremost, we already have to presume the actual the actual foundation of what is and is not possible, uh, which is logic. Logic is necessarily uh, presumed within reality itself.
4: So, so I, I agree with everything you said, but right yeah, now that's I'm the same in both of our worldviews. So you'd still need to say there needs to be well, like a symmetry breaker here. Why should we prioritize well, is,
3: yours over mine? In terms of in terms of the relationship between an identity, um, the given conception of a thing and the experience of a thing and your beliefs about a thing and an external impression. Like, so for example, like Hume is actually saying, right. In terms of, um, I'm assuming you're going to argue for some sort of empiricism. Um, no that-
4: no i'm not i, I don't hmm. care anything about empiricism the only thing i'm arguing is a priori with no knowledge of the world whatsoever it how is the logically the case that both pos- like like so so, what I'm, I'm trying to get you to present me a reason to ass- assume we're just i know but i'm trying you're
3: a materialist right like how do you gain knowledge no no of no, the no, no
4: we're not we're not there yet so i don't care about materialism you're right now i'm just asking yet. you how far back do you want to go a priori knowledge, so
3: your thing, yeah, so the claim, your thing. Priori, deducted, a, priori a priori knowledge. knowledge.
4: So now, now, a priori knowledge
3: about a thing. Like, how? why do you think you why? can have knowledge about a given thing? That's the point. Like, what I'm showing, what I'm attempting to show is that any form of knowledge is only possible if there is an analytic precedent which pre-exists it. In terms of reasoning, reason can only justify itself if it can deductively establish its own truth. That's the point.
4: Well, I don't care. I don't care about my reason you being justified. You necessarily have to
3: care. It, if no, you no, don't no, 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 accept no, no. again, reason, again, again. So, it creates so, knowledge. I can just say,
4: none it. of my reason is justified. I can say like like the scientific argument you made with uh, JF. None of my reason is justified. So science you you doesn't. One sec, one sec, one sec, one sec. So science doesn't talk about its base and justification. It doesn't care. It doesn't care what the justification is. Maybe we're in an idealistic world. Maybe we're a brain of that. Maybe we're in the matrix. Science doesn't care about any of that. It works it works we don't care why so to
3: even say that wait. it works you have to be able to propose no no no
4: no no, 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 no you don't it only has to appear yes, to work. No, no 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 you don't because works is methodological if it appears to work it works those are synonymous but that's irrelevant to the pointers the point oh, here oh, is that oh, you can just wait, assert wait, it wait, it
3: works wait, it works wait, why because it works no 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 it's, it's no, relevant because so of history question, of history and how do you know what history who cares who cares I see stuff around
6: me and even if that history is the history of a fucking virtual matrix plugged into my brain in a vat I don't don't give a shit science science still predicts that better than your framework no no
3: I believe in science what you're arguing for is fucking magic that's the problem like no. this is
6: this is no this it is the, not magic
3: that yes, science has like, successfully oh, predicted that there minute, would no, be no. genes and how then we I found know? the
6: genes and it's not really really magic really that science true. has predicted all of the gravitational interactions between the I stars know. and it turns out that it was true it is no, not I, magic I, I, at all it is history science. It is a science history science. of stacking truths, one after the other, and all of it being true.
3: Stacking truth. That's the, look, to even say that,
6: even be able to say. Stacking, stacking correct truth. predictions. Correct. Stacking correct, correct predictions.
3: predictions. Of what?
6: Predictions of what? of what we will see in the future. Predictions of what you will
3: see. Okay. And Yes. What, what, how can you say you are seeing a given thing? or experience. I'm feeling it I'm
6: feeling I'm feeling the, the recorder you on my scientific setup that is that has is a little uh, it has a little needle and it indicates to me what's happening in the world okay
3: you, so you one Tjum thinks that we don't that, that science doesn't need success conditions and it necessarily appears to be correct
5: that's no no what, no no, that, no that's no, how you no, no, that.
3: no. and
6: you I, not necessarily you, you didn't use the word necessarily
4: so I wanted to go back. I'm trying. I want to go back to you, like try to clarify your actual argument because we still haven't gotten there yet. So, I'm so trying my to, position. I'm
3: trying to establish the foundations of reason as being a priori synthetic.
4: Right, right. Okay. And I want to go go back go back to that. So, if we assume assume that we have no foundation of knowledge whatsoever, how does your model give a better foundation than our model of materialism?
3: Okay. So this is in in basic terms, materialism already presents a category which exists ontologically.
4: Okay, and how does yours do that say, better?
3: Because for us to even be able to say that there is material which exists, I am necessarily implying that my impression that my impressions of the world relate to a priori concepts necessarily that these a priori concepts are in the world, that there okay. is space and time materialism cannot give you that you Space and time aren't a priori concepts
4: how does your worldview do it
3: better how does your worldview give a better foundation because your no, do you not understand that do you, do you not understand that the, the the problem that hume is putting forth in 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 hume's fork when he says that there is a separation between a priori and a priori and synthetic judgments if a synthetic judgment is literally just your observation of reality and your a priori judgment is the logical inferences between identities. If they do not coincide, then there is no reason to believe a thing is itself. That's great. There how does no your worldview do that it better? Can is a can. That's great. That how does that, your worldview do it better? Yeah, that, because Stop, my stop critiquing materialism. Tell me how your worldview does it better. My, my worldview argues that for this to be a, an, an experience necessarily, it already contains the a priori concepts within it, synthesized in judgment. I That object contains a material categorization from which I can then perceive. Do, do you okay. not?
4: Okay, so, so you're saying that my, in my worldview, I think objects exist, and then we make up all of that gibberish stuff in our heads, and then we label the things with that. And what you're saying is, is yours is better because all the gibberish stuff exists all the inside the experiential object
3: thingy itself like, you, you do realize that this gibberish stuff is literally maths and geometry sort yeah. of yeah so you're saying maths and geometry you, one gf you said fundamentally this is the basis of truth so when you say yes don't be an idiot you don't know what you're talking about and t-jump like 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 just like well, well i feel like i can at least have a a discourse with you and you'll actually understand what i'm saying When you say gibberish stuff, you're willing to say that maths and geometry don't necessarily comport to a reality, that there is no, let's say, mathematical or geometrical truths necessarily existing in the world. Well, I'd say just judgments that I make.
4: so, So yeah, I'd say math and geometry don't exist anywhere. They're made up human concepts to correspond to things in reality. So reality has a pattern to it, which is the nature of reality. Math and geometry aren't there. Those are things we made up to describe that pattern.
3: Right. So, so you would say that, let's say, describe the pattern weight. So you think that you gain a pattern that that you think that you can have probabilistic knowledge prior to maths and geometry?
4: No, I didn't say anything about knowledge here. So I'm not making an epistemic. Or even probabilistic or
3: even experience. I'm not Uh, saying anything about experience. uh, I'm
4: just making uh, an ontological claim here. So assume there's no brains at all. There could be a particle and that particle has a nature to it and has properties to it. And if a brain were to come along, it would then make up labels to describe those things, which would then be math and geometry. So math and uh, geometry wouldn't exist in this universe at all until a brain came along and made them up as
3: languages to describe that thing. So you're saying that uh, so that there are proposed objects which do not exist in space and time. What? Is that... Is that no. correct? Well no, so quantum, quantum what do fields? you think that what do you think that maths and geometry is talking about?
4: It's talking about the nature of
3: reality. It, patterns yes.
4: in reality.
3: It's, well, it's talking about analytic truths of reality.
4: No, I reject that. So I think it's talking about literal patterns of reality
3: itself. It is a physical fact that reality has this pattern in it. But how is it that yeah, this is the thing? So how do you gain that experience of a physical fact where you can observe it? And even test your categorizations against it. Your brain makes shit up. Your brain, okay. Your brain makes it, but what's it making shit up onto?
4: Onto? I don't understand the question. So, like,
3: I'm so like, if existing reality. Existing reality. Okay. So, does existing reality have any form? Yes. It has form. Okay. And is that form a priori or purely synthetic?
4: No, it's, it's a posture. It's a physical thing. It's, it it's not purely, it's
3: purely post, post experience. So you're saying that you gain experience of the world of, of a given category.
4: What, right? no, 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 no. I think so. A posteriori means a thing that would, could only be known about from experience. It doesn't yeah. mean that it doesn't uh, yeah. mean that it doesn't, it exists after you experience it. So the thing oh. like, uh, the sun is no, a posteriori understand
3: apos- understandable okay so, so it
4: exists even if there's no brains it's still a posteriori because it would require
3: experience to discover it, well it, it exi- well, it the experience allows you to have knowledge of it but like or yeah. or, or uh, but the, the the point the point of what i'm saying is that for it to be a thing for you to experience in an object in a given like so for example the sun to be a sphere is a g- is a geometric truth that it appears as a circle in the sky to you it implies a geometric categorization that already exists within your sense, in your sensations. Do you see that? Yes, that our brain necessarily makes, makes up silly categories, like, like the no, circle, so they, it's
4: not actually a circle. It's just, our brain makes this stupid category you think, up and uh, you labels can, it.
3: Do you think you can leave these categories? Yes, different cultures have different categories. So maybe in terms of like uh, different modes of categorization, but would you say that, so when you when you're looking towards, let's say, I don't know, trying to observe reality in a, way which, do you, in a way which is true. Do you think that you could just, you, you could experience a non-categorized reality?
4: Yes, I think you can experience something that is so divorced from your past experience, it would not be categorized by the brain and it
3: would... No, no, not, not a different category. What? I mean, totally. Yeah, yeah. So, so
4: you see something that... Realism. It, Right, right. So you see something that has no category, your brain has no way to categorize it. Yes, that is a thing that's actually happened to people. It's like when you see an image and you don't know what it is, and you look at it from a different angle, it's, oh, it's a cat that
3: literally happens. So you can see things that have no category. No, I mean, that <laughs> I don't think that's the same thing. I mean, like, so for example, do you think that, like, what do you think a temporal experience would be like or non spatial experience? Like, Imagine being unable to differentiate between the inside and the outside of your experience, as in there's no separation between the inside of your head uh, and your movement within a 3D plane of existence. Or how about the experience of psychological continuity in terms of the movements from one moment to the next?
4: I don't These understand are your question. The
3: categorizations Kant's talking about. Do I you that- think you can free yourself from them and talk about something outside of it. As if you know it.
4: Not getting given my current biology, no.
3: no but, all right. Yes. That would be where Kant would say he was like, okay, given the categories of experience that you have built into you, this is the world you are forever locked in. Sure. And every time you analyze the world, you're going to be locked into that biological framework, sure. which is categorizing reality, which you are necessarily analyzing. So you are never in touch with actual reality, you are nice. in touch with the phenomena. So That's now, the, yes. great, position. you're a Sorry. transcendental idealist. I'm glad we've gotten here. No, so he's not yes. a
6: transcendental idealist. That's a transcendental idealist, idealist,
3: idealist guy. All of you know this know is so
6: irresponsive to the main theme of the debate, well, because consider- perspective philosophy here has still not answered <laughs> John's <laughs> question, a very basic question about how do we tell the difference if the universe has been created by a thinking being or a not thinking being or or some kind of physical law that is not a mind. That is the question. And I want to answer it since perspective philosophy refuses to do so. It's quite simple. If you were to go to a planet and you find something like a watch, the watch is working and indicating time. It's complex. It's built with mechanism. It truly appears as if Someone built it to get an answer as to what time it is. And compare this planet to some other planet where you go and you find some, some branch maybe of a tree that has erected itself vertically. And because it's erected vertically, it happens to catch the sun and to project a shadow onto the ground. And that shadow happens to also tell time these two planets you would handle them differently on on the one hand the one where you find the watch you would conclude that some cognitive agent has led to the creation of the watch and you would conclude that the the planet on which you have a branch just indicating time but seemingly by random is not a planet that requires an intentional being for having for having created that kind of watch that you found which is an accidental watch how, why do we say that one planet has an accidental watch and one has an intentional one? Uh, it boils down to the mechanism that we know exists in evolution and what they can drive and what they can't drive. Uh, for example, we know if you take the laws of physics and the laws of evolution, it's very likely that you can imagine some tree growing, uh, recycling. Uh, The carbon that it finds in the atmosphere and eventually creating little branches and eventually those branches fall and you find one that happens to work like a watch uh, as its relation to its sun goes. Uh, The reason we would conclude that this branch comes from an unintentional process is simply that the function doesn't seem to require a complex enough explanation that would require a mind. You don't need a mind to have a branch drop on the floor. It also seems that the branch comes from a tree that was reproductive and you don't need a mind for reproduction. We know that from bacteria and from all the things that can reproduce without mind. Whereas you would have a hard time explaining the human like watch that you found on the other planet if you don't involve some kind of engineering, some kind of planning of the environment, and some fine uh, tuning of the environment in, in, in a way that is functional for the eyes of a given species. That's how you tell the difference between intentionality and non-intentionality. You ask, do I have a necessary invoke? invoking of an intentional agent that has some cognitive structure thinking about the world. And in the case of the universe, it's simply the case that there is no trace, there is no signature of intentionality. We don't see the the laws of physics being messed up, being played with in a corner and not being played with in another corner. It seems that this universe deploys itself based on a very simple set of rules that we may not have found all of them perfectly yet they seem to operate in a very careless way that leaves no trace of intent
3: okay i um, mean well just i mean just quickly like just uh i think we should probably get straight back on to where we we were in some respects but i think just in relation to like you know your understanding of a process your ability to even experience a watch uh, to know it's a watch because it implies temporal existence is all bound to the intuition which I've just explained. Um, so you're actually applying a priori concepts. So to imply that it exists necessarily prior to the existence of a mind is a mistake. Uh, and so let's use that to get back to where we were. So well, actually, my, let,
4: let me I, let me let me try to pick up. So you said that uh, the noumena phenomenon distinction. So I grant the noumena Phenomenal distinction, and you seem to. Assume that anyone who grants the noumena-phenomena distinction must be a transcendental idealist. That seems to be false. The noumena-phenomena distinction is ontology invariant. If we're in a matrix, it's the case. If we're materialist, it's the case. If idealism is the case, then the noumena-phenomena distinction is true in all of those cases. So, noumena-phenomena mm-hmm. distinction doesn't tell us which ontology is true. How do you get from Numen of phenomena distinction to must be transcendental idealist Numen
3: of phenomena distinction implies the separation between a mind independent reality and a non-mind independent reality the only right. way that a non-mind independent reality is necessarily unknowable by definition would you right. accept that
4: yes which can okay. be that doesn't so, tell us what the non-mind independent reality is could be material could be idealistic could be magical it, be
3: it actually necessarily can't be anything because to imply that would be to imply a categorical uh, a, a categorical distinction within right. it. It can't
4: be a square circle. I don't care. It can it, be, there are different ontologies. There's different ontologies. It could be transcendental idealism is not the only one.
3: Well, it actually, it it, it it necessarily doesn't have to conform to anything. We don't actually, we can't have knowledge of it. That's the whole point. You say that it can't be a square circle. You're a, I would agree in the sense that one, I think that the noumena is in terms of uncategorized reality, <laughs> it would just be basic qualitative experience and immediate experience back, back. so so i don't care
4: if i can have knowledge of it so i can say that i have no justified true belief and i have no way to justify a belief about the noumena but that doesn't tell us it's not material it could still all be material the noumena could still be completely material and my no, ability to conceptualize that doesn't mean it's not i can't uh, like the, it, it seems that like that you're arguing concept,
3: that, absolute, that to say that the concept actually occurs within a mind independent reality is. misses the point that the concept itself Is a priori and separate from the reality. Like it it simply could not cohere with itself. The identity simply could not relate.
5: There is nothing for it to relate to. Gentlemen, could I get get a word in at some point? Sure, go for it. I didn't mean to interrupt the train of thought. I just haven't talked for 20 minutes. That's all. No, no,
3: it's okay. Go for
5: it, Sal. It's fine. um I'll try to be brief. I was challenged on the transcendence of boundary conditions. If you Google it, Boundary conditions versus law of physics. The first thing that comes up, at least on my Google search, is there's no strict correlation between the boundary conditions and the laws of physics. Boundary conditions are random conditions of an experiment or natural process. Um and then there is Michael Polanyi, and I cited him. His son was a Nobel Prize winner in chemistry. He was a chemist. There is another gentleman he mentored who also won the Nobel prize. He's a respected philosopher and scientist. He had the, in the American Chemical Society publication in 1967, it says, life transcending physics and chemistry. So what I put on the table, um, for the interested readers, you could see it, I, I, I respect T. Jump that he was incred- incredulous and skeptical and I respect him for that. I, you know, uh, you may disagree with me, but readers can look it up. I just gave you the references. Also, I mentioned Hubert Yaqui, and he said the acceptance of the origin of life is by faith. And so this whole thing about transcendence, uh, information is transcendent. It's a conceptual entity that can travel through various kinds of matter. That's how come the Internet is possible. It's a conceptual entity that goes through You know, it'll go through my keyboard when I'm typing, it goes through the router, it goes through wires. It may go through Wi-Fi, who knows what. It ends up on someone else's computer that may have different substrates. It may go through optical cables. There is a conceptual entity that goes through. Life is full of these, you know, it can be well, it's well characterized by information. And, you know, that's qualitative thing, but I'm just pointing out the sequences, the structure, the architecture transcends physics. And you could see it there. If you don't like it, you can go to Michael Polanyi. I've given you guys the references. Um, now... Uh, wait, one sec. J- Sal, what I, what,
4: I said life isn't a boundary condition. That's what I said. And boundary conditions are physical laws and everyone agrees boundary conditions
5: so, are not physical laws
4: if you just continue reading on the very bottom of the sentence you started reading if you just google what are boundary conditions versus physical laws it says there are no strict correlation between boundary conditions and the laws of physics boundary conditions are random conditions of an experiment or a natural process natural process implies physics the boundary conditions in I'm, physics are I'm only sorry. conceptual and instrumental tools in our hands that reveal deeper physical realities of nature they're just laws of physics They're things that result of laws of physics they're all just laws of physics
5: i'm sorry Your i have my quantum mechanics that. book you'll be giving schrodinger's equation that's a law of physics it's an approximation and uh you know uh not relativistic and when you solve when you're given problems the professor will give you the boundary conditions to describe the system it's not the same thing as the laws of physics if i i didn't know that or a student of quantum mechanics didn't know that he'd be in trouble. He has to distinguish the boundary conditions they're given in the problem. And he has to know how to apply them to the laws of physics. They are salt, salt, distinct. Salt, salt, and then um, salt, I do salt, want to, salt, point out one if, if I may. Those
4: conditions that the physicist gives are physical conditions. They give physical. They're conditions physical
5: conditions, they're- but they're not the same as the law. A laws describe. described most laws of physics are described by second-order differential equations. People who solve second-order differential equations know the difference between oh, the equation and the boundary conditions. You—it's the same kind of thing. You'll go if you so, go so, to math so, books, so, you'll see so, a distinction between the equation understanding. and right. the boundary condition. I'm I'm sorry if so, so, it's so not the, the, the boundary conditions
4: yet. are results of the laws in nature that produce these physical effects, which we call boundary conditions. They're still physical stuff. It's just. Results of the physical laws. It's we
5: all we don't there. know are result- we don't know where the boundary conditions ultimately came from. No, I'm no, sorry. no, no, no. The, 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 oh my God! Sol, the origin Sol. of the boundary conditions is different than the physical laws, and that's. <sighs> and I do want. I'm sorry to frustrate you. A okay, few words. I'll just about have to uh, agree to disagree, and if I could. A have few a words you to Saul is-
6: about his transcendental condition. I just want to point out. Uh, he's talking about information passing through wires on the internet and he sees this as transcendental it should be uh, noted that none of these signals none of these signals are transcending the laws of physics in the sense of being outside of the of what the laws of physics allow and he, he is free to conceive as a brain as part of the universe he can think that these things are above physics But the reality is they are expressions of physics and all of these signals can be explained by physics. The the fact that there are brains in the universe creating, giving meaning to these things, creating categories and giving them properties uh, is not even a violation of the laws of physics. And so it shows that the that the concepts that we create in our head are just products of the laws of physics too. There is no evidence that anything else is required for a human brain, human thought, human mind, than creating a baby that would eventually grow a brain that would eventually have these beliefs. They have no way to show you that a mind can exist even independent of the human body and the human cranium.
5: Physics, Physics is composed. Physical systems are composed, can be described by laws of physics plus boundary conditions. The boundary conditions are separate from the laws. All physics is not described solely by laws it has to be a physical system has to be described by both the laws and boundary conditions boundary conditions therefore are independent of the laws and that's why it said in the quote i provided it's not correlated to the laws of physics it's the same thing And when you're studying differential equations you're not going to be able to derive the boundary conditions from the equations they have to be given to you so the mathematicians out there that's actually studied this know what i'm talking about and i'm sorry it doesn't quite resonate with you guys and i respect that I also want to point out that JF had criticized and had been talking about natural selection. He advertised his book and I respect you. I I encourage people to read his book. I have a better book in my opinion, just as a matter of principle, The Stairway of Life by Rob Stadler and Change Tan. They are both Harvard trained scientists and they, they are more sympathetic to my view
6: and Do they debunk the theory of phenotypic revolutions? Do they prove they, they, they were? They don't.
3: They, okay, wait a minute. Okay, maybe well, they could. Well, and well, then well, finally,
5: I, the I want grinder. to say something. Uh, and gentlemen, thank you for your forbearance. A recent, relatively recent paper, 2017, it said the genome decays despite sustained fitness gains. Lead author Couchy and Lenski was somewhere in there. Genome decays despite sustained fitness gains that fitness is Darwinian fitness. That means the genome actually natural selection or Darwinian selection because it's not really natural. Darwinian selection actually acts to reduce, to eliminate. It doesn't build. It's, it's specialization. It's just like when you have two hikers and one is overloaded with lots of you know stuff so that he could endure a lot of variety of environments. Uh, the guy that has less stuff might be able to run him for a while but when you know when there's adverse weather conditions the, the hiker with less well he'll get eliminated so natural selection will tend to favor kind of like that hiker that's just kind of getting rid of stuff in that paper it shows versatility is selected against by darwinian selection furthermore intelligence is declining because of natural selection because women who are very smart don't have kids have fewer kids high incidence of childlessness. That's an example of natural selection destroying function. We're starting to find that out. Evolutionary theory is being destroyed by scientific evidence. That's why the idea of a creator is more compatible than science, than this naturalism.
6: Thank you. Well, on that, uh, natural selection can very well lead to a reduction of intelligence. It just needs to be the case that the most stupid people make more babies than the most intelligent, which, as is the case in the movie Idiocracy, Uh, seems to be uh, realistic of an hypothesis to describe the current world. Now, on your your comment that the genome decays despite fitness gains, uh, that's a misunderstanding of the theory of natural selection. The fitness gains of natural selection are theoretically true in a world that would be stable. But because the environment keeps changing, the fitness gains that are obtained by life forms do not convert into fitness gains into the future. They are really fitness gains with respect to a past, a, a, an average past that your ancestors have been going through. And so it's not surprising that sometimes the genome decays, sometimes the genome expands. It depends on how fast the environment changes with respect to these fitness gains. So you are fighting a straw man, really, of the theory of evolution.
5: I'm, I'm sorry, that was the title of the paper, sir.
6: A a I don't the, care about title the title okay. of the, title the of I experimental experimental paper.
5: I care
3: about Just quickly, I'm just going to quickly interject. First, I'm going to say that, um, uh, Jeff, you are wrong in saying that Charles uh, Sal's arguing for something transcendent, uh, transcendental. Rather, he's arguing for something transcendent. Uh, there is a separation uh, that Kant points out in the in, in his book about about transcendental idealism and uh, transcendental is foundational. Transcendent is going above. And that's important because something like the noumena, for example, would be transcendent. God, uh, for Kant, would be transcendent. And so, knowledge of the noumena, in many ways, is a matter of faith. So, saying that there is uh, that the noumena is a thing would be saying that there is that you are you are transcending the realms of the phenomenal knowledge from which besets you into a realm of the of the noumenal. Uh, it, it goes beyond the human capacity as necessarily a matter of faith.
6: Well, then if that's a so, statement, so, then a statement is simply that the signals uh, circulating in our wires on the internet supervene onto the physical. I have no problem with this, but supervening is not sufficient for me to invoke an existence you, of a God. Things wait, wait, will supervene you, in a universe, you know, and I'm okay with it.
3: Wait, wait a minute. This, this has nothing to do with supervenance. I don't know well, how, why you brought that up
6: because you're saying something is above something in that signal is above the little above. the little flows of optics that are happening in my fiber optics i'm willing to acknowledge this it's not a problem to my my worldview like,
3: like the christians on supervening god in a, like so supervenance would be the like the essentially is like a is like cool like the, the way to understand supervenance is like the manifestation of an identity corresponding like necessarily at, at the same time as another identity so like it would be like um like something has a has a supervened quality there is the, there is there is a a, a a joint uh there are two identities or two characteristics present within the object it's not like something that is transcending reality itself like god like or, or, or like um or, or like uh, the noumena well, like they're not uh, the sal
6: didn't the, make a morning. case for god sal was talking about the information that carry that's carried in our wires on the internet and I say, okay, this information can be seen as supervening onto little quantum fields that are transferring, that that are that are acting according to physical laws. I have no problem with this, but it is not a justification for the existence of a god.
3: Well, I'm not. I'm not making any arguments in relation to Sal's point. I know that me and Sal. Oh we, ah, well, we, then we then are not beforehand. making any
6: argument. Wait, so well, that's I what I was addressing.
3: just to clarify, I was just saying that essentially one. The, the first thing I was saying is essentially, you, you made a, uh, a category error. Uh, no, no. So Jeff was responding to Saul. Jeff was yeah. That's what I'm I, that. I was saying. I just said he was making a category error in terms of categorizing the transcendent and the transcendental. And then I responded saying that when we talk about the transcendent that like, that Saul is talking about here, transcending the laws of physics, that would be the, essentially the same thing as arguing the noumena is a thing uh, that that it goes beyond the confines of human knowledge, that definitionally. Which is why, like, in terms of TJ, like the yeah, this necessarily is transcendental idealism. The problem is, I, 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 well, the problem with transcendental idealism is the presupposition that these categories of thought only exist in the mind uh, of the subject and not in reality itself. That that's the, that's that's the mistake. the The, the categories necessarily exist uh, within reality. Reality is logically conformed to possible. Uh, or con- possible and contingent uh, expressions. Contingently, I see an object uh, that 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 is the manifestation of a possible categorical form, like a po- possible mode of categorization. But that possible mode of categorization is itself confined by the laws of logic. And so what it we seems have... like Two-minute warning, is... we have got to go into Q&A soon.
4: It seems like you're confusing the fact that we can make very ambiguous statements that can apply to all things with those ambiguous statements must exist prior to the things existing which they can describe but that's just no it's, it's
3: it's for identity to exist at all and for there to be a logically inferential relation to self the logic must exist within reality and uh, that's no, the same logic must, it, logic is necessitated no, if you not. deny logic you've denied knowledge uh, uh, entirely and, and and truth no why would you why would you even think about denying that
4: no, because you don't need logic or particles. Particles can exist without logic, without math, logic without geometry. They exist just fine. We you make up all of those languages. So, you,
3: so, you, so your belief in particles has nothing to do...
4: No, 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 no. no. Ontology, the, the particles can exist without logic. So I can know nothing.
3: No, I think you misunderstood the, the whole Kantian point that your experience contains. You even accepted you live in the phenomena. You believe that you yes. have access to to, to particles... But the, the, the only reason that you have the belief in particles is because of experiences, which so contain what? a priori concepts, so man. What? Yes, so what, a priori if you are concepts bound to are the, made up the brain. It, I suggest reading Kant. Right? I've, like, I've read Kant. Like, I'm very familiar with this. You're not, though. I, I, you're I really am. Not. Take I'm, my word for familiar. it. Take, as, a, as, as a PhD student in philosophy, you do not understand <sighs>
4: T- take my word for it as having talked to the world's leading experts on these topics and who have literally said, I do understand this. You're the one who's I misunderstanding I do not
3: believe this. I do not believe you. I do not believe you, that you may order. you, you can believe what you anyway. want
4: but you've misunderstood the entire point. Like I've debunked your argument. Your argument is you that- we haven't I, debunked anything. I have. I because I debunked we haven't even got to the point.
3: We haven't even got to the point I, because no, we've, just, we've only did. just managed to establish you're a transcendental idealist. You've just no, accepted the phenomenal no. noumenal distinction. Now I'm going yes, to tell that you- how it doesn't make you a transcendental
4: idea. Idea. Literally no philosopher thinks accepting the phenomenal noumenal distinction makes you a transcendental idealist. That's something that you're, you came up with. Is on it not?
3: No one accepts it. Is it that. not? Okay, right. This may be like pretty much
4: every materialist thinks. Guess what? There's an actually a noumenal world out there, and we don't have access to it from our direct experience. Every physicist materialist grants that. They all grant the distinction there. None of them are transcendental idealists. You're just saying silly
3: words. I, I think you don't understand it, man. I do. I, qu- I quite. So do. what is transcendental idealism, and how does it work?
4: Oh, transcendental idealism! I have no idea. Gibberish. I understand the noumenal. Phenomenon. Oh, you don't understand. Oh, sorry. I thought you understood Kant. Yes, I understand much of Kant. The phenomenal. So you
3: understand Kant. So wait a minute. So let's look at the Critique of Pure Reason. So what is if we look at the first chapter of the Critique of Pure Reason? It's the transcendental aesthetic. Then it's the transcendental analytic. Um, Then it's the transcendental uh, well, logic and the well, logic analytic and deduction. So did you really think that he's getting? Do you do you do you understand? That Kant is the is the basis of transcendental idealism. Yes, I
4: understand that's his position, but you can grant... Do you understand you can grant the distinction between
3: the phenomenal and nominal and not be a transcendental idealist? Do you What's understand that? Q&A. Of knowledge of something non-phenomenal, if you say it is nominal, that is definitional. No. You don't understand the words...
4: Oh, I do understand the words. You don't understand the concepts. Like what is if, what is you think? If
2: you the think, if you Look, think you the, guys, is the leave. We've got to go into the Qs. The numina what, what is the reality. Is the that you the don't numina? have any know, access I, to. I
3: know. I swear to God, I'll stop. If if you just explain the noumena is the nature of
4: reality, which you have no access
3: to. So you have access. Do you believe that you have knowledge of a, of a reality from which you have no access to?
4: Do I have knowledge of a no, because knowledge requires justification. I need to be justified about that. That's the point that we don't have. So there could be a reality. There could be a material reality
3: out there that I don't have direct access to. And it's just fine. So why would you say that it's material? Again, that's irrelevant. I'm
4: just saying it's logically possible. You don't need to know it. You keep confusing epistemology and ontology, and I've debunked you
3: on this multiple the, the, the times. The whole point of what Kant is saying is that even I don't care about Kant. I've
2: debunked well, your no, nonsense I like ten times. This
3: is the fucking point. I think, you don't care about Kant because you don't understand it. If you don't, if you don't, you don't even have the aesthetic, the appearance of reality at all until I it's phenomenal. It. I so just you need to show it's logically never possible. leave the phenomenal, the knowledge I that you think. Scientific knowledge, in this case, is necessarily Q&A. phenomenal. Q&A. That's KF is part. right, we must go into the Q&A. Did
2: it I is very
6: the... clear what has happened here. T-Jump is asking for an ID that is consistent, and perspective philosophy refuses to engage with the hypothetical. So T-Jump is not affirming knowledge. He is merely saying, is it possible that this thing could exist, a material world without a god? It could, therefore perspective philosophy is wrong. That's my conclusion.
3: Simply, you, I think, you, um, you know, You know what the thing is, the worst part of it is, is that would necessarily require the categorizations of a world which necessarily can't be categorized by definition. And all
6: of your categories also necessarily relate to categories in your head and stuff yeah, in I your head. You objective. don't get out of asking the everlasting question, the cycle of then what's what supports this? Then what supports my idea of this? Then what supports Project. my idea of my idea of this? You don't Project, get out of this of in any way. Truth. Got, that's to what the Q&A. Thank my... you
2: very much. I hate to do this, gentlemen. I know that you've got another round in the barrel, ready to fire perspective. So I have pardon my jumping in here. I'd, I Likewise for both sides. But we want to go into these questions. want to remind you folks, our guests are linked in the description. So if you want to learn more about their views, for real, what are you waiting for? You can do it right now by clicking down below. We're going to jump into the Q&A. Ryan, thanks so much for your super... Support, as well as Gray's 174 who says, question, do all science-slash-god arguments involve topics that have a lot of dispute, open questions, counterintuitive findings, and a high-knowledge bar to even properly engage with? If so, why is that so? Any thoughts?
3: Sorry, I don't think I, I caught that properly. Is that be okay if you read it again?
2: Sure, they say, do all science-slash-god arguments I think that they maybe mean your types of arguments on your side, Sal, and perspective. I could be wrong. They say do they all involve topics that have a lot of dispute, open questions, counterintuitive findings, and a high knowledge bar to even properly engage with? If so, why is that so?
3: Um, I mean I wouldn't necessarily say so. I mean like I mean the, the, the like knowledge of the like the like of something that is metaphysically profound in general, whether you're talking whether it's An exception, an acceptance of one ontology or another, or um, of a first cause of 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 any of these things, are going to necessarily require a high knowledge bar in that respect. But but to the you know you can talk about God in a much more basic way in terms of like the basics of truth and existence and so on. And Christians have been doing that for a long time. Uh, Well, not just Christians, Um, but you know when we talk about the complexities of proving these things, uh, yeah, I would say that you probably need quite a a lot of a lot of knowledge in terms of philosophy, in terms of in terms of science, um, to, to really gain any knowledge of of any of the the fundamental truths of reality. I think that's just sometimes sometimes life's hard, man. You got it. I think it. This-
5: I have a I have a response.
3: If it's really short and pithy, Sal.
5: Proverbs twenty five two. It's a theological view. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. He is ordained. That our search for him and evidence for him will be difficult, but it is a glorious quest. Proverbs 25, 2. Thank you.
2: This one coming in from do appreciate your question. Stupid Whore Energy is added again. She says, Doesn't the nuclear reactor found in two billion-year-old rocks that are uniformitarian assumptions are based on good evidence?
5: Um
3: our uniform, our, the uniformity of evidence necessarily must pre-exist our capacity to compare different experiences. That's why you'd say that there is a constantly conjoining experience from one to another, that a thing keeps happening again and again and again. So you'd have to be able to say uh, there is uh, a thing, it then reoccurs again, and then it reoccurs again, and then it reoccurs again, and you'd have to be able to establish them uh, as necessarily occurring, as actual, uh, as a manifestation of a thing, uh, and that's Kant. But... To even go p- before that to Hume uh, you could actually just respond this with what's called and, and I, I I'll, I'll shut him out actually. Um, uh, Kane Baker does a really great video on Hume's problem of induction. Um, you can argue for what's called counter induction so you could argue the exact opposite. you could say because everything keeps reoccurring, it necessarily won't occur again. like it has happened so many times that it won't happen again. Um, and if uh, if it's self-asserted re- rationally, so if you just say like what is rational is what is inductive or counter inductive, then it's definitionally true. And you can't say that the counter inductivist is any less rational than the induct than the inductionist. So so yeah, that's no, no, it doesn't. Sorry.
2: This is the one coming in from do appreciate your question. Grays one seven four says theists, is science more compatible with atheism, general theism, or fundamentalist, conservative, protestant, evangelical, trinitarian? Christianity.
5: that's kind of hard to answer because i don't think i fit any of those three although i'm a trinitarian i'm evangelical but i don't consider myself uh, i don't associate with the fundamentalists but i, I think again w- what i said uh you have to have a reason for living and the, the christians uh Alfred North Whitehead said it was their drive to find out, to declare the works of God, and to understand what He constructed, and that they testify of Him. That drove the birth of science. At least that's one agnostic atheist philosopher credited that drive. You cannot go from I don't believe in God, therefore I should do science. I, I don't think that's that, that's like a non sequitur, um, because you could say I don't believe in God, and then what do you live for? You have to, unless you can go from that. To say this is what I live for, this is what society should do, then it's, at the very start, it's already a non-starter for atheism. So I, you know, by default, then I'd say uh, at least the Christian religion is more compatible. I I didn't say it's absolutely compatible. I'm just saying it's more compatible.
2: You got it, and Thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from Made by Jim Bob says, Atheists, can the claim, quote, science is the best way to truth be verified, using the scientific method? If so, explain
6: how. Uh, If you define truth as predictability of the environment around you as you perceive it, yes. Then all all you would do is you would compare what science can predict in terms of astronomy, biology, physics, mechanics, and then you would compare it to anyone else with any, any other set of belief. And you would realize that science is superior on that measure.
4: You well, I'd got say it. no, no. Just so the answer it. is no, because the question was: is can science, can science justify the claim that science is the most reliable method, in and of itself? Well, no. Science is a methodology. to To justify the claim that science is the most successful methodology, you have to compare it to other methodologies, which. Isn't in the definition of science anywhere. So you just have to compare other methodology and see if they work, and then compare it to science to see if it works. And the one that works the best is the way to figure out which one works
6: the best. But science can do an empirical comparison of two things on a given scale.
2: Sure. But- this one coming in from Stupid Whore Energy strikes again. Your favorite, Sal, she says, for Sal, doesn't the fact that most of the genome diverge diverges at near to the neutral rate mean that most of our genome is
6: junk. No, there're not they're, that most of our genome is junk, but that most of our genome is not subjected to strong natural se- natural selection pressure, that is true.
5: No, it's falsified by the fact that like say and we're only recently finding this look up and, and I covered this on my academic channel, the uh, RNA phase separation. A lot of the RNAs, practically most of the human genome, anyways, transcribed. We're finding that that does things like RNA phase separation that cre- creates um, membraneless, membrane-less uh, organelles called MLOs. So look that up. So it's been falsified by experiments. It's also been falsified by something called flip-ons that show the Z DNA conformations and RNA epitranscriptome. And there's some other things. Um, that we could keep throwing in the mix and it just keeps piling on and on. So it None is- None of
6: this cannot be naturally selected. All of these features of living na- organism can be naturally selected because they were better than something else.
5: So so, so neutral theory is, is you know, um, first off, there's a problem with the definition of fitness itself. And I've gone into that and I published on it. But um, uh, so I, I think, you know, neutral theory will have problems explaining functionality. So, you know, neutral theory would predict then uh, kind of random directions. It w- would therefore be falsified by integrated function. So, uh, nice to see you again, Miss Energy. And uh, that's my best attempt at your um, at an answer. And yes, you are one of my favorite stupid whores. Thank you. <laughs>
2: This one coming in from Grace. It just doesn't feel right,
3: Sal. Saying that, does it? I feel like there's something wrong with the universe. <laughs> like I feel like I've trans—I've transcended now. Like that doesn't. That...
2: This one from Grace one seventy four says: Do angels and demons and blood sacrifices for sin atonement slash protection help explain science?
3: Uh, no, they don't. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say they do. That, that, I mean, like that's not what I'm arguing here. I'm, I'm arguing necessarily that the unification of a divine mind, uh, which is allegorically spoken about within the Christian religion, uh, is what we are engaging engaging with. I mean, like re- like the the foundations of all religion obviously contain like mysticism and and a lot of uh, nonsense. Uh, same as like the foundations of science and alchemy, for example, contained a lot of nonsense uh, that we don't necessarily have to accept. Um, so no like I'm not gonna say like I don't justify blood sacrifices and I don't justify you know like um, I don't know uh, other horrible stuff that's talked about in the, primarily the Old Testament uh, you know and not let's not stone gay people um actually very much pro-gay marriage um you know things like that I, you know like let's be rational about how we approach religion and you know let us let's, let's think about it like, logically. Uh, that's really what I'm coming from
2: you got it and thank you very much for this question coming in from made by jim bob says if supernatural exists using a naturalist standard like physics and predictability would move it into natural category is it possible supernatural exists and doesn't share the standards for nature
4: sure it's possible but i wouldn't say that even if it did exist um, if it was scientifically testable, that wouldn't make it natural. Like you can make there's a supernatural ghost named Bob, and every time I pray to Bob, he gives me a gold brick. I can test that scientifically, but that wouldn't make Bob natural. It would still be supernatural. But I would maybe,
6: argue that it would make it natural because you would basically be <laughs> reshaping your scientific theory to include how Bob interacts with your senses.
2: You got mm-hmm. it. This one. Coming um, in from Grays174 says, To everyone, what are your thoughts on God of the Gaps? Anybody, do you have any in particular novel thoughts on this old idea?
5: I like God of the Gaps. I think it's uh, a good argument. Even uh, Christians would disagree with me. So, all right. Yeah, I was going to say,
3: I disagree. <laughs> I disagree with God of the Gaps. I, I, I'm all for um, necessary. The, the whole point of my, my argument necessarily comes from uh, a logical foundation, necessity. Um, I think that if you go to the gaps, you may as well just say, oh, yeah, induction works uh, by the way we necessarily know what truth is uh, prior to discovering it. Um, you know, you can just assert anything. I don't believe that you should ever assert um, anything is true without uh, solid, uh, justified reasoning, uh, even a form of, of reasoning.
2: You got it, and Thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from Coffee Mom says, "For Sal and perspective, what is scientific about your religion? Like, be specific. At least one very specific thing, please. And thank you."
3: Do you want to,
5: genetic, you want
2: to
3: go, or
5: go, or go Uh g- Genetic deterioration. That's a testable prediction, and it would also imply that human evolution was not natural, um, and that that is. So, I would say that's one. Oh, by the way, I. I I had a recent show on that on my channel. So please check it out. Thanks for the shameless promotion, giving me a chance for shame, shameless promotion, guys.
3: Yeah, I'm, so I would say what's scientific about um, about the road. I, I don't want to say it's just Christianity because I think what I'm arguing for really here is sort of theism and even deism, I think is compatible with this view, uh, but that there is a logical foundation necessarily unifying reality, uh, uh, which unifies the unifies possibility itself um and that is uh synthesized in the uh, relationship to one another that there is a, synth- a synthesized mode of judgment in relation to whether the identity actually corresponds with itself uh so that logic necessarily knows itself that there is an identity which is self-relating necessarily within re- reality uh that truth exists uh that 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 would be the the fundamental basis i would argue for um for what we mean by God, I would say that we, we necessarily mean something like the unmoved mover, the, the prime mover, the being which necessarily reciprocally relates to itself as uh, self-actualization. And it is, it is the, it is the uh, indifference of identity and, uh, in concrete form and knowing uh, uh, itself as its concrete form. It is thought made carnal. It's an idea.
2: You got it. This one coming in from Gray's One Seventy Four says, "Is it really choose between theism and abiogenesis?" I think they're saying it's a false dichotomy.
6: That's true. Uh, you can, wh- whether you believe in abiogenesis, will will uh, require you to determine if you think that the first thing in the universe was alive or not alive, and it will depend on exactly how do we qualify quantum fields uh i point out in my book that if quantum darwinism is true then life may have preceded non-life uh so abiogenesis is completely independent of the question of theism
5: um go, go on. if it wasn't directed go ahead go ahead james
2: go ahead if you well i thought it was directed so go ahead go ahead
5: all right um we were talking about transcendental forms life is a transcendental form. Transcendental form. Uh, and, because there are a variety of life forms. And um, for that form to exist, it would require a miracle. Even Francis K- Crick, who's discovered the structure of DNA through the x-ray stuff of Rosalind Franklin, said an honest man will say life is almost a miracle. And we're finding out in this day that it is a miracle by any definition of statistics. And if there's a miracle, there's a miracle maker so it's that simple for me and it exceeds the technology that exists on this planet and it suggests then that the miracle has also had an intelligent source and that's a skill set of god
2: you've got this one coming in from stupid whore energy again she says what does the multiverse have to do with abiogenesis sal you can get microspheres by repeated wet drying processes of four amino acids, 30 times at 90 degrees Celsius.
5: The multiverse has to do, there are two publications by Kunin, one by Kunin and Tominari Tamani. They both argued uh, that the probability life is so remote that for the probabilities to be overcome, you need kind of more trials of the dice, so to speak, or more rolls of the dice. And that, the way that that's achieved, is through multiple universe, which obviously we can't test or verify. It's a hypothetical entity. And these
6: calculations are wrong because they don't take into account that life could be very simple. Something like a tRNA constituted by maybe 20 to 50 nucleotides uh, in the early times of Earth could have sufficed to have the beginnings of life. Of course, they don't take into account this into their mathematical calculations.
5: Well, he, he was going into that See, the the way that, that you had solved it and others is to redefine the meaning of life. By life, we mean, we customarily mean this transcendental Platonic form of cellular life that follows Virchow's principle. So the origin of life researchers are so desperate, they have to start equivocating definitions just so they could claim victory. It's pathetic.
6: No, l- life so, has anyway, been properly defined um, by Richard Dawkins. Uh, life is replication, selection, and mutation. It can understand. happen to a single small molecule okay. or to a big one.
5: That's this not my definition. In, I have a molecular biology textbook and a cellular biology textbook and a biochemistry
6: wrong, textbook. And it's okay. <laughs> you want to see the books they're can but be anyway, wrong.
5: Miss Energy, it's great to hear you from you again, my favorite stupid whore. Thank you. Again, just quickly, Plato, World of Forms, transcendent,
3: not transcendental. Easy mistake to make. A lot of people do it. so okay. Just
2: this one coming to. in from Mark Reed says, Perspective, how does your appeal to a god get past Hume's fork? You are still using induction to come to the conclusion of a god, and it seems you are using Kant for special pleading on Hume's philosophy.
3: Uh, no, I mean, I mean, Kant necessarily actually responds to Hume. He's a, he's a retort to Hume. He's, uh, he's actually responding to the inquiries. Um, Kant is arguing that for Hume to even come up with the, pop, with, the with the problem of induction, that there is a uh, prior inception of intuition within a reality which gives him experience of objects. Uh, for him even to be able to say that there is uh, the impressions which uh, Hume is uh, referring to when he says matters of fact, and relations of ideas being mental constructs is already implying spatial-temporal distinctions. And so, what, what what Kant's actually doing is saying that you cannot break away from the a priori; it, it's transcendental, it's underneath, it's 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 fundamentally posited within reality for you to have knowledge of the synthetic in the first place. Uh, and that's why the noumenal distinction is the idea that you would have. Synthet- something synthetic, which could—it it, it simply cannot be known. There, there, there is no way to access it. There's no way to say that. There's no reason to believe that the noumena is material more than it would be. I don't know, like, um, I don't know, a world full of pink and yellow rainbows and lollipops everywhere, like, uh, or, or that it's magic or, or anything like that. There is no knowledge of it. The whole point of what Kant is saying is that we live in the phenomenal, and even say that you have an experience altogether, an impression or any um, given uh, um, coherent um, means of experiencing reality, it is already conformed to a priori concepts. There are already a priori concepts in there for you to be able to say that there, it has an identity. Does not come in?
2: Well, yeah. From Oflamio says, Have you factored in, quote, fictional theism by Roy Sorensen?
3: Sorry, what was that sorry
2: they said have you factored in fictional theism by roy sorenson does anyone no, know what that is? first I time i know. heard the book
5: sorry yeah, i don't know what
3: that is i'm sorry Let's
2: see i'd have to look it up myself but this one coming in from stupid or energy says what does the we got that one pseudonym says t-jump okay that's Stupid Whore Energy says, the first genuine life emerged when a microsphere acquired double-stranded genes, which happened when an anticodon stem loop tRNA evolved through random processes. Sal? Oh,
6: That's almost whore. true, but the double strand is not required. But other than this, she's right.
5: The answer is in this book, Stupid Whore, and... <laughs> actually i think you're pretty intelligent that uh there there are numerous problems with that um you you can't you you can't just have random polypeptides making a making a protein it's very difficult you can get something that'll catalyze something but it's not worth much um you know if you're again there's redefinition of life and and we have a good evidence that there's a minimal complexity for cellular life it has to have So many parts, particularly like a cell membrane, where you have transmembrane proteins, you would also need translocation processes. So what is described there uh, is just hypothetical. It's not actually functional. uh, And it'll die soon outside of the laboratory. And that's a testable prediction.
2: You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question, made by Jim Bob Strikes Again. He says, JP. The information and meaning are not identical to the physicality of the medium transmitting info through wires. Meaning isn't physical.
6: Uh, Meaning is physical to the extent that those who attribute meanings are stuck in the physical universe. Uh, And so there's nothing else than the the physical universe here. You have the little beep that goes in the wire and then you have what your brain will interpret from it. All of it is physical.
3: I mean, of course, I think what he's trying to say is that even your knowledge of the physical would necessarily be, you know, developed through uh, a, a meaningful argument, right? You to say that it's physical and not, let's say, God magic, as Teejum would say, you'd have to be able to give a meaningful argument.
4: You no, know, I think he's talking about like Sal's information argument. Meaning is in some kind of a system that has uh, input and output. So uh, a brick hits something and the way the thing reacts is the meaning and so if information hits your eye the way you interpret it is the meaning obviously the meaning isn't in the thing that's hitting your eye it's in how your brain interprets the thing that's hitting your See, eye. I would,
3: so i would disagree i'd say meaning is in the correct interpretation that's why we can be right and wrong against our observations of reality
4: then that's incorrect interpretations in the wouldn't have meaning
3: and i'm not <laughs> this one no, coming just, in from do
2: appreciate your question john ackerman <laughs> Thanks for your support. Says thanks to all for the debate. Reminder, folks, all of our guests are linked in the description if you want to learn more. Said as for as we can, as far as we can see, consciousness comes from the inside out, not the in, outside in. Very much seems like we describe reality, not prescribe it. We don't need consciousness to precede our own consciousness
3: um well i i would say that the, i mean there is something right there i mean the sense that we like can kind of argues this like we kind of have this um where he says like consciousness comes from the outside end. the problem is, is that what you take to be an individuated aspect of consciousness would be limited to your own inner and outer experiences right uh consciousness necessarily consciousness of these categories is what makes that possible for you to, be able to differentiate yourself and your environment in the first place uh, what what the issue is, is he says that there is something outside, again, uh, from, this, from this relationship, which is the noumenal, which you can't have consciousness of. Uh, that's the issue. Um, so you do actually need, this is why Hegel would say, like, what Kant is wrong. There's nothing other than consciousness. And so there is an externality, objective consciousness in which logic is present. There are a priori concepts within reality itself.
2: You got it. Thank you very much. And Stupid or Energy said in chat, I need to buy JF's book.
6: Absolutely. Everyone on Earth should read this book because we're about to destroy human civilization by genetically uh, editing ourselves. And it has dangers that scientists have not properly assessed my book explains what will happen with humanity and it's really grave we will be turned into an ant colony controlled by centralized gene control we have to avoid this future
2: juicy to say the least and joe schwartz says i failed freshman science class three times thanks joe we appreciate your honesty but and De but you persisted three times i like it Rumpley depew says this is by far one of the best debates I've seen spirited, civil, and intelligent. Thank you. I couldn't agree more. All credit to the speakers who are linked in the description, including at the podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, you can find these guys' YouTube YouTube channels or Odyssey, et cetera, in the description box. This one from Justin says, Theus, do non-Euclidean geometries, like acute hyperbolic solids, in parentheses, objects with infinite surface area, and finite volume exist in the physical world, or is math just a descriptive abstraction?
3: Um, I think what exists in the physical world is the possibilities of various forms of uh, geometrical categorization. And so when we talk about whether an object, uh, whether, a, whether the, the categorization is correct, um, I, I would say that requires the... Um, uh, a point of a priori synthetic testing where you basically say like, well, okay, well, wait a minute, does this form of categorization actually uh, conform to my observations of reality, which themselves contain a priori synthetic categories? So you'd say like, does, for example, is like uh, in relation to Euclidean geometry is the distance between two um, points, uh, is the shortest distance between two points a straight line, for example, you can test that in terms of um, like a physical, as as in a physical test. Uh, But you can also know it a priori. You can actually know that that it's true within itself with Euclidean uh, axioms. The the difference with non-Euclidean systems, I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't think there's anything against it. You just have to be able to test um, those non-Euclidean hypotheses. And in in many ways, uh, realists such as, um, uh, what's he called, I can't remember his name now, He's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, um, he's actually someone who responds to Hume, he's a realist who responds to Hume, uh, basically came up with uh, or, or even predated uh, non-Euclidean theories uh, proposing uh, how the optics work in the eye. And he actually proposed it based off the observations of how the eye functions. Um, so, uh, you know, it's not to say that, if anything, I think the observations of reality would allow uh, for to allow us to correct our modes of categorization, so that we don't, you know, get stuck in pitfalls of how things appear to us, and that would be the difference between accepting the phenomena uh, and looking towards some sort of logos and logical foundation within an objective reality.
5: You got it. Thank you very much for your question. I, I wanted to. Could I respond since that's a mathematical question? You actually can have things that are <laughs> infinite, even in Euclidean geometry, like the integral from. E to the minus x from zero to infinity you get a finite sum even though it goes out to infinity so you don't need to go to, to non non-Euclidean, non-euclidean geometry to see that there are also things conceptually that probably don't are not instantiated physically and again those you look at uh, boundary value problems and when we do that in physics we reject the things that are non-physical such as wormholes and relativity thanks
3: you got and it. by the way it was uh it was Thomas reed sorry. There we go. I'll
2: see you I see all the wrong thing. Sorry. No problemo. Samir saying says atheists willing to involve probability when it comes to aliens and not when it comes to God? Couldn't aliens create others? Why not one creating all? I think they mean like all life.
4: Sure. Probability is about the probability of an all knowing, all powerful, all loving being who created the universe has multiple sets of infinite sets so the probability of that is extremely smaller than aliens which don't have multiple infinites as a part of them and so if we're just going based off of the probability of some abstract entity that you say exists outside of space-time the probability of that is extremely low probability of aliens is significantly higher than probability of a magical sky daddy outside of space and time uh,
3: i'll probably push i'll probably push back on
4: that
2: but like not You got it. This one coming in from. Do appreciate your question, Samir. Again, says first there was an infinitely small particle that exploded, and boom, here's a universe. Besides all this non science, what law said, quote unquote, explode?
6: There's no explosion in the Big Bang. There doesn't have to be. There's an expansion, and there's no particle at the beginning either.
2: You got it. This one from.
4: Go on. The, the law was the quantum mechanics. So the nature of the quantum mechanical field caused the expansion. That was that was the law.
3: There was a law. There was a law before physical entities.
4: Yeah. Quantum fields existed before physical entities.
3: Okay, but those quantum fields had some sort of magnitude and some sort of necessary.
4: They have a nature to them, yeah. They have a Yeah, they have
3: nature. a necessary nature, which would then it'd have to conform itself to. Yes. So would you say that there was a, I don't know, a logical component necessarily built into the. No,
4: logic is something we use to describe no, no, no. those things. The logic it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't have any, any given. Thing. It doesn't
3: have any given magnitude. It doesn't have any given uh, ability to relate to itself. Um, you those, know, those, just, those are just, all languages we make up in our
4: brains to describe the way it is language, a way. language
3: right. structure language is <laughs> language isn't necessarily just descriptive the whole point of yeah, what, they, yeah literally it is literally it's only descriptive no, no, yeah and, uh, yeah it, it, well actually it's uh, if you look at the constructivist approaches you'll actually see that the way that we categorize the world actually it changes our experiences of the world uh quite considerably like that's the whole yeah, point. yeah but it doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't change yeah, the 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 phenomenal is. that's what the phenomenal is which you accepted before to understand that a sociol- sociologically conditioned individual forms a different uh, psyche, which leads to a different experience of, let's say, the colors. Uh, yeah, but spectrum. it doesn't change reality. The theory, doesn't, it doesn't change it does. the noumena. Well, no, it, it changes the way in which you experience the phenomena. That's the, right. that's the but point. But it doesn't, it doesn't
4: of, change the noumena, but, and that's what I'm talking no, about. It's yes, but noumena. you don't
3: have knowledge of the noumena. I don't need it. No, this one coming in but, from
2: it, Justin. It says, Omniscient God can't exist without, or pardon me, Omniscient God can't exist with known physics because the speed of information is limited to the speed of light and all objects do not have concurrently visible light cones from a single reference. Therefore, I win.
6: Yes, that's true. <laughs> God, If God was all-powerful and all-knowing, uh, there would be a question of where he's positioned. I mean, the, what
3: I would say is like the, the, you're, you're arguing that like, God is separate to reality itself when the whole fundamentally Christian position is to say that reality is necessarily compartmentalized of God, uh, that they, you know, you know, creatio ex nihilo. So like everything created would necessarily have to be created from God. It's, to understand where God is positioned would, ne- would be fulfilled by the concept of omnipresence, which would be everywhere. Uh, you are necessarily an aspect of God. That's the idea. Uh, But of course, you didn't know that. It's fine.
6: Christianity has a very personal God, which has desires, thoughts. And these desires and thoughts will be subject to the same analysis that you made of quantum fields and of everything else. The question is, why is God in such a way rather than in some other way? And you'll realize that you know nothing about this, and that in fact it's unknowable since God is not showing itself to us through any recognizable signature move.
3: Well, God would be God and logic would necessarily have to coincide, that's the whole point. So, God conforms
6: to well, then God is is everything and pantheism, but that's not even Christianity, it's really your stuff.
3: Yes, it is Christianity. Clearly not circular, that. we can just say logic conforms to the quantum field. oh well, no, because you would say that like logic necessarily has to conform to the relationship between nature of reality. So that you'd have to say that the possibilities necessarily conform to each other in such a way as to match the concrete reality which exists. So you'd be able to say that to our understanding of God and our concept of God actually corresponds to the conceptual relationship of probabilities, of possibilities with each other. Uh, that As in logic, the logic that we are using to analyze reality literally corresponds to itself. Uh, That's the basis of identity. I don't know why you're showing us your book, man.
6: Uh, Someone on the chat was asking if there was content in my book. He was challenging that I actually wrote a book with content inside, so sorry. I had to show him.
2: You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. Fernandez T says, free speech, yo. Thanks, James and Modern Day Debate team, and all the speakers. Thanks so much, Fernandez. And they're all linked below if you'd like to hear more. Samir says, "Afterlife, theists win slash tie, atheists tie slash lose. Why?" I don't know. What that Pascal's wager—it's
4: um, false. <laughs> so Pascal's wager is false. Um, the probability that there is an afterlife without a god is equally as high as the probability of an afterlife with a god because there's no reason to think a god would make an afterlife any more than an afterlife would just exist as a law of physics and the probability that you're going to go to heaven if you believe in a god is equally as likely as the probability you're going to go to the heaven if you don't believe in a god there's no reason to think that any particular belief is more likely to get you into heaven than any other and so the probabilities under atheism and the probabilities under atheism are exactly the same there's no difference
3: one way or the other well i mean the the whole point of god being good is like god is synonymous with good so if you are you beg the God
4: question then. about its nature. I can just say nature must necessarily yeah, I'm, have
3: I'm, heaven. Yeah, well, I would say that when we understand what, what God is good, I would say that it relates to the teleology and the final cause of existence and that this is actually put forth by uh, Thomas Aquinas and that this is deducible by reason. It's not to say that it's begging the question. It's to say that this is deducible, uh, that faith and reason aren't necessarily uh, at odds but actually coincide. They're not.
4: It's, that's wrong. They do. Well wow. I've, I've debunked him.
3: Okay.
2: Thanks for your question. This one coming in from Robin says, "TJ and JF, do you accept the Quine-Duhem thesis, and why?" Uh,
4: nope, don't really think about it much. Don't think it's important.
6: I would have to have it stated to me. I don't know, but I've read Quine, and I've not uh, I've not retained much from it other than it was. Uh, Picking on problems uh, that are philosophical in nature, in the same way perspective philosophy did today. So, no, I've not, uh, don't find it much important, but I don't know the specific theorem you mentioned.
2: You got it. I want to say, folks, got to get these guys out of here. It's been two and a half hours, a little bit over. I want to say a huge thank you to JF, T Jump, Sal, and Perspective Philosophy. It has been a true pleasure to have you guys here tonight.
6: Thanks.
2: It was a pleasure to be here. We yes, are going
6: you. to have,
2: Oh, pardon me. Go ahead. No, thank you. You bet. We're going to have a quick post-credit scene in just a moment, so stick around. I'll let you know about upcoming debates. And thanks again to our speakers. It's been a true pleasure. Thanks so much, and I'll be right back.